Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you asking. All right, my friends, we are in uh, Genesis chapter 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over halfway, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a very interesting chapter. Some parts are... Uh, really cool and exciting and other parts are sad and uh, grieving and so we will laugh and cry tonight together Um, so that should be fun Um, now remind yourself of the context Jacob has just ripped off his brother Esau Esau basically gave him the look and so Jacob realized he was in trouble Uh, one thing led to another and Jacob's going to get out of there eventually Um, and also you have the situation where Isaac and I always mix up Rebecca and Rachel. Isaac and Rebecca send him to go find a wife of uh, their family, not one of the Canaanites. And so he's going to be taking off. As we said, he'll never see his parents again um, that we know of. Uh, And uh, then about halfway there, uh, not even about halfway there, about 40 miles away. So what's that? Maybe two days, three days into the journey, he has uh, this dream in which the latter... Um, is set up and the angels of heaven descend and ascend and and I made the point last week that it seems that that's when Jacob began his relationship with God Um, he had always known about God but now he knew remember he said God was in this place and I did not know it Um, and so we could say um, I think we're accurate Jacob's salvation experience begins here in Genesis 28 I think Genesis 29 Jacob's sanctification experience begins Um, you know none of us or where we need to be on day one of our salvation, God does a, a gracious work of refining us to make us more like his son. And he's going to do that work in Genesis 29, probably not something that uh, Jacob would have chosen. So we're going to look at that tonight. How's that sound? Awesome. Nice. Yes. Sounds good. Sounds exciting. <laughs> sure. All right, let's read. Uh, I'm going to read uh, about 10 or 11 verses, and then we'll talk about them. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east, And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone in the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back into place uh, over the the well. Um, I got to spell over the mouth of the well. Um, Anyway, verse 4. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and get out of here. Or something like that. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. But they said, we, Who are you? No, that they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Does everyone know who Laban's brother is? Mother's brother? It says it there five (laughs) times in one verse. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Okay? So kind of interesting. Yeah, nice little. That kiss, by the way, you know, like make out with her there or something. You know, it, was, it was a greeting kiss. Yes. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't even know who you are. You know, uh, It was just a greeting kiss. I'm your f- relative. So anyway, let's go back and look at it. Verse 1, Jacob went on his journey and came. John Corson says that phrase, went on his journey, means he had happy feet. And I looked everywhere I could, and I don't, I don't see it. Um, but it does say that he, he went forward with, like, enthusiasm. So the idea is he had this experience, and then he went forward. So maybe that's what – I think John wrote that commentary when that movie came out, Happy Feet, and that was the connection. Do you have something? Alternative translation is uh, Jacob lifted up his feet. 
He scooted along, ready to go. So you said he, the first time when he stopped at Bethel, that was only like a two days journey? Well, it was about 40 miles. Okay. I don't know how far you go in a day. like another 550 miles. Correct. Okay. Um, well, no, not 550, because all the way down to Ur was, oh, oh, is oh, about 600. Okay. So let's just say it's 300, 400 miles away. Yeah, so. He's doing a lot of walking. I don't know if he's got a donkey or something. But anyway, he's going to go back to the land of, um, really, of, of Abraham, you recall. So if you don't recall, uh, Abraham, uh, we're going to use me as a picture. Abraham is down here initially, um, kind of at the mouth of the Persian Gulf, if you can think of that from when you went to school. And then he makes his way. He follows the fertile crest, the fertile crescent, which goes around today, which is Saudi Arabia. And he makes his way up kind of to the top of it, the zenith of it. Syria. And then, is that zenith? Syria, no, I Turkey, think it's... And then comes back down through Israel on that side. Okay, but where he stopped in Ur, yeah, that wouldn't was, that be closer to like Iraq? Yeah, probably. Okay. And then down through, like uh, Mark said, into Israel. Alrighty, so um, that's where he's going. That's the land of Rebekah. Uh, and many, many years earlier, it's the land of Abraham. So verse 2 says, he looked, he sees a well. So he's making his way there. He sees a well. There's flocks of water that are lying beside the well. It says in verse 2, um, and there's a big stone over the well's mouth. And they basically they gather all the, the shepherds gather together, pen their sheep or whatever it may be, and they roll the stone away together because it's a big stro- uh, stone. Okay? That um, yeah, makes sense, right? Now, we do see in verse 10... We read that, right? In verse 10, that Jacob himself rolled the stone away. So the stone can be rolled away by one person. I don't think that's designed to tell you that Jacob is like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Um, It could be. Mostly was in the kitchen cooking. That's right. So he wouldn't have You know, as I was writing my notes, I... The word that I kept coming up with to describe it was mama's boy, but I said, that's not appropriate. I'm not going to say mama's boy, but you said it, so. <laughs> and they said mama's boy is yeah. so strong. Oh, so wasn't it a communal thing is why they didn't roll the stone away? A communal so, thing in what sense? Like, it said, the, the guy said, we don't get, we don't roll it away until everybody's here. So it's like a communal watering hole. So uh, maybe not necessarily the weight of the stone, but the, I don't know. The weight. <laughs> there you go. Well, it says the stone in the well's mouth was large. But how large? I don't know. But anyway, they're waiting. Okay, so we do see that. Okay, I assumed it was because it was a big stone. Um, but anyway, our friend, uh, he, could, he rolls it away himself. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they are said, we are from Haran. Now... You know, there's not big green signs up on the highway saying where they're at. And so it's he's just walking along. He comes to a crowd. There's a well there or whatever. He's great. I get the rest from my journey. Who knows how much further I have to go. And, you know, where are you guys from? We're from Haran. Great. That's what I'm looking for. Fantastic. And so uh, after, you know, all those many miles, he finally came to where he was supposed to be. And they said, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And, of course, they said, sure, we know Laban, the son of Nahor. And the note that I jotted down to myself was, of course you know Laban, the son of Nahor, mm-hmm. because that's the way that God works, you know, mm-hmm. that you know he's going to bring me to this place and, and so on and so forth. And you guys, yes, he's my neighbor. Come on, I'll walk you there, or whatever it may be. <laughs> I also wondered, however, if based on what we learn about Laban, I don't know how many of you have read this chapter. Did anybody not read ahead? Uh, yeah. Laban's going to be a real louse of a guy yeah. all right you're gonna see that a little <laughs> of bit we know yeah so i wonder if they're saying oh yeah we know laban you know like that i don't know but either way god is working it out of course they know laban they can bring him right to him and so on notice verse six and he said well is it well with him and they said well yeah it's well with him and look here comes his daughter rachel uh and of course Rachel is the first female that he meets is going to be the one he's going to end up marrying or whatever. Well, and isn't it interesting, he sees Rachel and all of a sudden, I'm going to move this stone. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Now, um, verse 7 is kind of interesting because I don't know who Jacob thinks he is coming into town telling everybody this, but... 
He says, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. So, like I said earlier, I said, so get out of here. You know, what are your sheep and get out of here. Um, okay. I wonder, maybe they wanted some alone time with her, too. Um, because the, the norm would have been for them to water their flocks early in the day, have them pastured throughout the day, and then water them again in the evening. Right, because it's hot midday. That's like the hottest time, right? So, well, certainly that's the hottest time, but yeah. that was just the norm of what they did. Oh. Also, the ladies, the yeah. women would come after sort of the the work crew kind of mm-hmm. did their thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's almost like, like my dad goes to Home it's Depot. Like he doesn't go at like 6 a, 6.30, yeah. 7 a.m. because all the construction guys yeah. are there. They go around 9 and everybody's out of there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so the ladies would come a little later. Now, the only thing problem with that that I'm suggesting is um, Rachel was also a shepherdess. So she's mm-hmm. kind of one of the guys. Mm-hmm. And so she would come when they do. So their tendency, though, was to come a little bit later than what would have been standard. And some have suggested they're doing this because they're kind of lingering around waiting for Rachel to come mm-hmm. because she's lovely and we'll learn about that later on. I don't know. Um, but it may be an indicator of these guys, sort of their work ethic. You know, they're just sort of sitting around doing nothing when they should have their animals out there. Um, I think there's some credence to that idea. If you look at verse 19, it says, let's see, where is it at? It says, when, this is when Jacob basically, they're going to, he said, I'd like to marry your daughter. Mm-hmm. And Laban essentially says, well, you're better than any of the clowns around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, it's better that I give her to what you. What endorsement, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, then that I should give her to any of the other men. Stay with me. And so maybe that's an indicator that these guys are just sort of bums. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Their mother's basement. We got you. Maybe so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I wrote down a note. When I was teaching, they used to call this playing the wall. And yeah. Do you know that? Playing the wall. Yeah. And so playing the wall is where guys just basically stand against the wall with one foot up on the wall, and they watch, like, the chicks go by. Lazy. Uh, or whatever. Um, not just lazy. Like, it's yeah. like, hey, ladies, you know, that kind of thing. Because they're the quality men you want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're the guys that are really yeah. going to show up. <laughs> they're the ones you want. Well, anyway, um, he says, you know, get out to work. And they said, well, we can't uh, until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth. That's when we water the sheep. Now, maybe that is a cultural thing. We're all buddies, mm-hmm. but, you know, and it's something we do together as a community. I like your explanation better. And it doesn't hurt that there's a cute girl there <laughs> at the same time. It may not. And she's right. late. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah. She's like late coming to the party. Yeah, I was going to say. All right, well, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, then, as we read, verse 9, Rachel comes. Verse 10, and as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and here we have that phrase again, mm-hmm. and the sheep, Jacob rolled the stone from the well's yeah, mouth, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Okay? So Jacob rolls the stone away. I pointed out all the other guys waited to roll it away, but he does it by himself. Um, He's no slouch. He had come three, four hundred miles to marry one of Laban's daughters, and the first girl that comes walking up to him happens to be one of Laban's daughters, um, and we'll learn she's quite lovely or whatever. So he's pretty motivated, um, kind of putting his best foot forward. Uh, I'm a gentleman. I'll roll the stone away, that kind of thing. But also I'm a strong gentleman. I'll roll the stone away. You know, all these things. And he waters uh, her flock. Notice uh, it was Jacob's mother, Rebecca, probably at this same well that watered the camels of Isaac, mm. basically. It was Isaac's That's servant. That's what I was thinking. It was the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now here he is watering. Isn't that, isn't that kind of fun? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, think about that. <laughs> Verse well, 11. It taught her son to look for the woman who is doing... But he didn't do any prayer thing before. Well, like no, he didn't. Did. But that we know of. That we know of. But That's he observed. He's, he got to see a good example. Well, I imagine his mom raised him right. to be that kind of a guy or whatever. That's right. Probably didn't hurt that she was cute. No. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that. he worked seven years for her. 
All right. You know, You're giving away all the stories. I'm sorry. All right. It makes you wonder how if he was that much stronger than the other guys. It well, makes you wonder if he was. Well, if he if he if these other guys are going to do it, it um, as a group, uh, and then and then he's going to do it by himself. It makes you wonder how muscular he is. Yeah, um, you know, as as Ruth pointed out, we we do learn. I'll say it a different way that uh, he was more of like inside of the house kind of guy, and Esau yeah. was an outside of the house kind of guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but you're slinging around big things of lamb and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean that doesn't mean that he way. was cooking the a meat. Slight individual. Yeah, sure, absolutely, sure. Some of these chefs nowadays are pretty like. It could be a rocky road for uh, Jacob. <laughs> yes, sir. Maybe it was men back then. Guy who cooks. We're more Sorry. manly. Because I was just thinking, you mentioned Rolling Stone. I mean, who was it that rolled the stone across the tomb? It's Joseph Arathia, if I'm correct. To close it, you're saying? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? Uh, is, I think it was him. Uh-huh. Okay, he, he got the body, he went to a pilot, asked him for the body. He wrapped it in the... Um, Sort of like a preparation, stuff. yeah. And he took it to this tomb, and then I think, I'm not sure, that he rolled the stone across the tomb to seal it. Yeah, I, I didn't say specifically he did it, but it was sealed yeah, by the time it was the, like the, the guards went the there with their... soldiers did it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I know they put the seal on it. Yeah, right. Oh, they thought that... Yeah. Because it was Joseph, Vermithia, and Nicodemus. They both prepared the body, right? And Joseph was kind of rich, so he might have had some servants. <laughs> but we saw the we saw how the stone would work. Yeah, it was rolly. I mean, it was rolly in a trench, so it wasn't yeah. like oh, it was. It yeah. <laughs> no, really, that's what they do. You'll see it. You'll be there. No, I'm serious. You're going to be there. You'll see it. They they would build a trench. Okay. All right, you saw it. I don't think you did. The version was good. All right. Well, anyway, so he sees. Uh, he sees her, he waters her flock, uh, then he kisses Rachel, that's a, a kiss of greeting, um, and then he begins to just weep, and that word, it, you know, it's not like he had tears in his eyes that he was holding back, he's, he's weeping here aloud, and, and you know, she must be like, oh my gosh, he's this guy is really likes family, you know, um, and so he, and she ran away. Well, she runs to home, essentially. And then verse 12 there, she makes her way uh, and to go tell the father. Um, now, Rachel, it's almost impossible that she would have met Rebecca. You know, so Rebecca grew up there, but Rachel would not have been born. Um, right. Jacob, here's some math. Jacob took the birthright from Esau when they were both 40, because they're twins. Um, we see that in chapter 26. And shortly thereafter... He leaves. Um, we don't know exactly how long thereafter. We know Rebecca didn't have Esau and Jacob until 20 years after she married Isaac. So that means at least 60 years earlier she left that particular area. And so I seriously doubt Rachel is 60 um, here. Tradition says that Rachel is anywhere from 14 to 18 years of age uh, at this time. Um, tr- this is interesting. You tuck it away for later. Tradition also says that Rachel and Leah are twins. Um, oh, so, how can they be? But the Bible doesn't fraternal. say that. That she's just a little bit older. Just a little bit older. Like, a, like Esau oh. is a little bit older. Okay. But it doesn't say that in the Bible. But it could be because you know twins run in the family and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know why it matters. No, no, they weren't identical. Yeah. So they were all right, so let's go on to verse 13. So a 40-year-old man's marrying a 20-year-old. Yeah. Sure. Well, no wonder he's rolling the rock back. <laughs> Verse 13. Yeah. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house, kissing everybody. Jacob told Laban, Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are, bone and, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so, verse 20, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. That's very nice. That's a nice context. Yeah, it's a nice statement. All right, so going back to verses 13 and 14, um, something happens in this conversation between Laban and Jacob in which, you know, some stranger on the side of the road saying, I'm your cousin, <laughs> convinces him that you are indeed, you know. So who knows, maybe it was something with, you know, Rebecca told him some stories about when she was young and, and so on. And so somehow Laban here is convinced and he says, surely you're my bone, you're my flesh, we're, we're family and all of that. Um, you have to wonder, based on Laban's character that we're going to see a little later, when he discovers that this is Isaac's son, if he remembers back to how wealthy Isaac was and the dowry and all that, and he's thinking, oh, right, here's a cash cow uh, or something. Um, again, I don't know. I'm just reading into it based on what we know about Laban. But he's delighted that he's his bone and he's his flesh and so on. Verse 15, then Laban says to him, you're my kinsman. Should you therefore serve me for nothing, tell me what your wages will be. So uh, in 14, it says that he had been there a month, um, seeming to imply that Isaac is working during that month. Jacob. He's, excuse me, Jacob. He's helping out around the house. He's out in the field. He's, you know, he's doing what he can be doing. And so Laban asked the question. He says, you know, you're my family, you know. You shouldn't have to work for free. You know, you should earn something as well, even though you're my family. Um, anybody see that differently, perhaps, than what I'm interpreting? Verse 15? Okay. I, I did read one guy that said what Laban is saying is, look, you've been here a month. You're not just going to lie around. You know, let's work out some agreement. You're going to yeah. get a job, you know, and, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, to negotiation. It could certainly be that. My impression was something different, but I guess it could be that. But I'll go with my interpretation since mm. I Which had it. <laughs> that Jacob's not a freeloader. Right. You know, that he just come in and said, you know, put me up in a good room or whatever. Uh, but that he's out there. He's been staying there a month, and so he's doing his part. And yeah. when everybody gets up in the morning, he wakes up in the morning, gets coffee, and goes out to work with them. And that reminded me, you know, the the phrase that I could imagine Jacob asking is, you know, how can I help? How can I help? And I, I think that's what the Lord would have for all of us to do. You know, when we show up in some particular place uh, is, you know, if it's appropriate, certainly, how can I help? What can I do? What role can I play? And I remember going on mission trips with uh, with Kevin Barber. <coughs> Kevin's a, a fellow from the church here uh, who's now retired uh, in a sense. Uh, lives sometimes down in Florida, sometimes here. But when he was here, he was very involved in so many ways, and he would lead us on mission trips. Many of you know who he is. Some of you don't know who he is, so I'm explaining I hope he him. Knows who he is. Um, this guy does. That's his dad. Yeah. Um, but Kev would always say, like when when there'd be a group of us. A lot of times we have kids on these mission trips, teenagers, and you know some teenagers are wonderful, and other teenagers are teenagers, uh, and they not yours necessarily. Uh, I know that you have teenagers, but sometimes yeah, teenagers and adults will just sort of stand around until they're asked to do something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as a leader, you know, Kev, certainly so, you're so involved in so many other things, you don't have time to ask everybody to do something. So if you see the building on fire, grab a bucket and put it out. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you see a need, do it kind of thing. And Kev would always say, you know what he would always say? Grab a glove and get in the game. What did I say there? And I just love that phrase, you know, just have eyes to see yeah. uh, and, you know, do your part and play your part. And it seems that's what, to me, it seems that's what Jacob is doing, mm -hmm. you know, so he gets in the game. And had he been the guy who sleeps in when everybody else gets up and goes off to work, you know, and doesn't do the dishes after dinner and all these other things... You know, one might think that Laban would say, it's been, a, it's been a great visit. I'm so glad you came. Now, when you leave him, you know, that kind of thing. But instead, he says, you know what? You're a good guy. I'm going to hire you. 
uh, and so I, I just appreciate that. Now, he's not, you know, going off to the office or whatever and sending some emails. He's getting out in the field and he's getting dirty and he's doing hard physical labor and all of that. And as you pointed out, you know, that's very different from the lifestyle he lived, you know, before back with with his father and mother and Esau and so on. It said that Esau was out in the field hunting and he was a rugged kind of guy and that Jacob liked to stay in the house where his mom was and he was tender and so on. Uh, and so now he's just learning the value of hard work. I used to say when I was teaching, I don't know if I really believe this or not, but I used to say that at the end of middle school, I think they should send every healthy kid to a farm mm -hmm. and make them work a year <clears throat> on a farm or something like that. Or in a as third a, world country. As a mason's <laughs> apprentice or, or some real hard job. Yeah. And if you fall in love with that work and you think, this is awesome, I can't see myself doing anything else, well, great. That's Fair. awesome. You know, but if you realize, well, I'm tired, my bones hurt, it stinks, it's you know hot out here, then you might work a little harder when you get to school mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, so... Jacob, yeah, this is wonderful. <laughs> my brother-in-law did that to my nephew the year after he graduated high school. He said, "Before you go to college, you work in here." What a great idea! And <clears throat> so then he knew what he wanted yeah. to do with his mind, yeah. and not with his back. Absolutely, you know. I used to say to my students also that, look, whatever you decide to do is great. But if you can't decide to do anything else, you know what I mean? Like if you, I said education is about giving yourself options. Mm -hmm. And if your only option is, you know, that you can be a garbage man because you can't get a job anywhere else, well, then you're going to live a long life, you know. But if you love being a garbage man and that's what you choose to be, well, then go for it. Have a lot of fun. But work hard in school and give yourself options and so on. So anyway, here you have Jacob, and he's mm -hmm. going to learn the value of hard work um, and of what it means to be a servant. Uh, and when do you truly know a person is a servant? When they show up without asking. That's nice. <clears throat> I think there's another time you really learn it even more. When they see a need. I think there's another time <coughs> even more. Yeah. I'm asking you to get into my head. Good mm -hmm. luck. I think you really know that a person is a servant or you yourself have become a servant when people treat you as a servant. Because then you, oh, then you yeah. get to respond, oh, yeah. and you could either respond with, Who that, said "That's that? my job," Somebody said that. or you could respond. Was in, it Francis Chen that said that? He might have. Yeah, yeah I, he I've heard the phrase it. before. Yeah. And so Jacob is learning, as I said, the value of hard work. He's learning some things about becoming a man of God uh, in this process, and he's doing pretty well here. Mm. Now, Laban knows that Jacob didn't come with any money, necessarily have a bank account or a Mac machine or something that he can go to. We call them Mac machines anymore. We don't do it. ATM. ATM machines. Depends yeah. uh, how old you are. Yeah. And okay. so I, you have to wonder if this is part of Laban's plan. Mm. He knows that the, you know, he sees the way he looks at Rachel and all that stuff. And, well, that's what I was thinking. Know, so. Maybe he sort of knew that. Perhaps, I don't know. We're just guessing together here. Um, so he says, you know, all right, let's make a little plan here to take advantage of this guy. So verse 16, Laban had two daughters. One was Leah and the other was younger. As I said, tradition says they're twins. Either way, Leah's older. Um, whether it's by two minutes or two years, it doesn't really matter. Um, now verse 17 is interesting. It says Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form. And nobody really knows what that phrase, Leah's eyes were weak, means. Some think it means she had light-colored eyes, like blue, for oh, instance, right, but that darker eyes were more um, sought after in that culture, and so it could mean that. And look at that lady with the blue eyes over there, yuck, or something. <laughs> and that's um, just delicate. So okay, some cold. think... Yeah, oh, why don't you tell me what people think? Everybody throw out some stuff. I've heard cross-eyed, I've heard Mine has short side, pretty like, eyes as well. You know. She had pretty eyes, you said? <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's nice. Well, think Betty Davis, that's what I was... Who had Betty Davis eyes? Rachel or Leah? Leah. What's Aren't Betty Davis eyes good? They were, no. they were oh, I've always misunderstood the song. Oh, I did too. I thought that were she they was. Bad? They were Apparently. good. No, they were good, right? No, they Apparently were not. Buggy. Oh, they were really? Yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what have you heard, Ruth? Uh, in the King James, it says tender eyes, and it yes. just 
just a plain type <coughs> person, plain Jane, if you want to, you want to call it. You got all the nicknames, like Mama's boy, no. plain Jane. <laughs> okay. So she wasn't bright special about. She wasn't yeah. anything. So there's a, a variety of things um, here, but the fact that it's kind of coupled. So it says Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. It it seems like it's intonating at least that it has something to do with appearance. Um, and so verse 18, it said Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, "I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel." Now that is a very high. Um, he started the negotiations very very high, um, probably because he didn't want. You know, any like, you get out of here. I don't even want to talk yeah, to you. I can't believe that. you even said that, you know, or something. Yeah, and so he, he just started that. very high. Um, so he doesn't risk refusal. Um, but it seems by doing so, he tips his hand, if you will, and Laban knows, you know, I got a fish here. I can take advantage of this guy, and he, <laughs> and he will. But notice the contract. I'll serve you seven years. So kind of like the idea of indentured servitude, if you're familiar with that from your history studies. Um, but he says, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. All right, so he doesn't say, I'll serve you seven years for your daughter, because then that could be, well, I thought you meant Leah, you know. He doesn't say for your younger daughter, you know, because, well, I thought you thought Leah was younger or whatever, but he, he eventually throws it out there, younger daughter, Rachel. So the, keep that in mind. The contract's pretty clear. Verse 19, Laban says, well, it's better than I give her to you than anybody else. Um, certainly not a glowing endorsement uh, for him. And, and I suggested that maybe that's giving you an idea of the men of the area. He's delighted to, to do this. Uh, verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And then what a lovely verse. It says, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. And love is a powerfully motivating factor. Uh, in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of young men whose lives have been kind of uh, straightened up by a young lady, you know, and uh, because of the powerful motivating factor of love. And I think that's good. I think in many ways my life was. Um, the Lord came into the process there in that process as well. Um, but nonetheless, love is a powerfully motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, notice this also, you know, he loved her so much that he was willing to wait for her uh, and work for her for seven years. You know, a lot of people have misunderstand, misunderstood ideas of, of what it means when we're in love. And so uh, waiting is typically not what they would associate with that love. But uh, love has to be our motivating factor, particularly as we serve the Lord. You know, if, if we have any other motivation in our service of the Lord, I, I just think, excuse me, I just think we're going to mess, we're going to get ourselves in trouble at some point down the line. You know, if, my, if I serve because I'm looking for a position, or if I serve because I'm looking for pats on the back, or if I serve because I'm looking for this or for that, eventually we're going to either, it's going to become drudgery to us, or God didn't, you know, hold up his end of the bargain, I didn't get what I was looking for in my service or whatever. But if we just serve the Lord because we love the Lord, then the Lord can use that and bless that. And you have all the motivation you need to do that for the rest of your life. Uh, and so just a little practical thing that we can take from there. Any thoughts on those verses before we move on to the next? Okay, so the contract has been signed. Verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Okay. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, and he made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Did I read that right? Verse 24. Laban gave his female servant, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so, and he completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Verse 29, in parentheses, Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, 
and he served Laban for another seven years. Oh, my goodness. All right, so let's go back and take a look at this. Have you ever read this story, uh, Steve? Um, no. This is something, isn't it? Yes. Yes, indeed it is. <laughs> All right, verse 21 said, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, it's time. The, the uh, contract is over. End of the agreement, Jacob is, uh, I've done my part, now it's time for you to do yours, um, give me my wife. And so they're going to throw a big feast. He gathers all the people together, verse 22. Um, their wedding feast, culturally, the wedding feast was not a one afternoon, one evening kind of thing, but it was something that would go on for days. That may be the reference there where it says, complete her week, that, that whole feast, that week there, perhaps. Um, but it would go on for a period of time. Everybody's gathered together. They're celebrating. Um, and then it says in the evening... He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Um, so now, sounds like Jacob's eyes were weak. Mm-hmm. Perhaps <laughs> the custom of the culture was the wife, the bride, would remain veiled mm-hmm. from head to toe, mm-hmm. um, and they wouldn't go into the the bridal suite or whatever you want to call it, the honeymoon suite, until it was dark. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, you know, I, that's what I wrote then. How could he not have known, you know, who she was or whatever? And it, it's because of the veil and because of the darkness, likely. It would have been her voice. If they were partying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, seven years, he had to have known her voice. So what do you think that means then? <laughs> you think he knew but didn't say anything? No, no, she didn't say anything. No, Leah didn't say anything. Yeah. No, oh, that's, I see. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I didn't say that, but that was what his thing is like. It's absolutely not a single word. Oh, right. Whatever. <laughs> Do you think Lee is a part of it? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Definitely. I think she knew, totally. Well, obviously she knows I'm in this room here, or whatever. Well, no, but I mean, she got, she's in yeah, on the scheme. I think she got it. I think she understood what was going well, on. Well, you know, like if she was fair, she was bigger, and she wasn't going to get married any other way. Yeah. You know? Well, where's Rachel when all this is? Going? Uh, I know. Did Leah go knock they, they her out, and tie her up behind a rock? I don't think so. <laughs> and Laban could have convinced her. He said it's not done in our country to give the first. But he knew that before the contract. Right. Did Jacob know that? No, but. Laban knew. Okay, so then Leah would have listened to her father and said, okay, I'll go marry him. I think Laban knew he was going to go for another seven years, keeping him around. Well, we certainly know that. I'm curious if Leah, you know, he just came to her. So the feast is going on, everyone's happy, Rachel's, you know, dancing around or whatever. And then he said, wait, 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 you come here. And Leah, you go, mm-hmm. or whatever. And was she like, "Where am I going?" Or whatever. Or was she like, "Oh, she knew she was becoming a problem." I don't. I don't think it was just a spur of the moment. No. Okay. Well. Yeah, I understand it was planned out on Laban's part. I'm just curious if Leah knew the plan up until the last minute. There's no indication. Like. You know, you sit know. in a room and contrive. But, you see this. A little bit later but on. I think she understood that. I think she knew what was going on, and I think, like you said, she just like kept her mouth shut. And yeah. Or yes. Well, One second, Mark. It, it's curious to understand or figure out her relationship with Rachel too. And what kind of sister would do that? Yeah, that's what well, I was she saying. knew that about the love between the two of them. Mm. So, and then what are you setting yourself up for? Well, you see it later on. There's yeah. definitely a rivalry between those. Yes, and yeah. they're and they're servants as well. Right. Yeah. And the verse about Jacob's relationship with Leah later on is, it says that he hated her. Yeah. And so he's like mad at her. Mm-hmm. And and I tried to look up the word like. He resents. Does that mean like you know how it talks about Jacob? I've loved Esau. I hate it. It's kind of like a thing of preference or whatever. Um, it means, the word there means hated her. Mm. And so it's like, he's mad at her, you know, or something. She tricked him too. So, who knows? But anyway, verse 24, that little phrase there in parenthesis about this woman named Zilpah, um, that that information's important um, later, not this moment, but just tuck that away because she's going to become a, a character in the story a little bit. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and Jacob said, you tricked me, or whatever. Now, um, he didn't say it to Leah. No, no, he did not. He said it, he ran out of the room. I'm sure he said something to Leah, like, whoo, 
<laughs> whatever. <laughs> but he, he takes off out of there. Now notice, notice all the hurt here uh, in this. Jacob is wounded because he was deceived. Leah is wounded because it's clear that her husband doesn't want her. And Rachel is wounded because presumably the man she loved was given to another man. Um, the only one who's doing all right here is Laban, who got seven, he just got seven years here. But, and you're like, well, people are like that. But this is his daughters. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I don't really care if you're happy or sad as long as I got my money. These are the first dysfunctional families. Well, well, we had that murder. You know, <laughs> <laughs> back you know what in, I mean? Like the, this the, is the a dysfunctional biblical, family. Biblical families are the first dysfunctional families. Yeah. All right. Now, um, notice what he says. He says, why then have you deceived me? And that, that word, deceive, stands out because that's what Jacob, that's what his name means. <laughs> you know, his name means deceiver. And so... I said in the beginning that, you know, maybe chapter 28 is where he got saved. Chapter 29 is where God is going to do a sanctifying work. And so God is starting to refine Jacob. And one of the parts of that deception or um, refining is for him to kind of experience deception. You know, I, I shared there a little while back. So often, even as believers, it's easy for us to go back to our default means of doing things, particularly when we were unbelievers. And it, it just sort of jumps back like I, I shared the example of when the cop pulled me over or whatever and it's like the lies just come right out or whatever without even thinking they come out very naturally and so God has to wean Jacob of being a deceiver mm -hmm. and I think he does so by having him experience what it mm -hmm. feels like to be uh, deceived um, somebody said that Jacob is in the school of hard knocks here mm -hmm. uh, and it seems that that is but even in all of this God will work all this out for good and accomplish his purposes because it's through this mess of a dysfunction that the 12 tribes of Israel would come forth and ultimately the Christ would come forth. So um, God is still in this whole process, but and Laban won't be innocent because, well, God, you used it. You know, I, you know he's still going to be um, responsible. So, uh, so Jacob here has to experience the pain of deception. His father-in-law deceived him. To some degree, his new wife, Leah, um, deceived him. Uh, and we go on from there. Now, let me ask you this question. Because I've been hearing this a lot. It's been popping up a lot. Maybe it's just on my radar or whatever. Does this teach the idea, you know, because Jacob was a deceiver, now he gets deceived. Does this teach the idea of karma? <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase, Steve? Karma? What oh, yeah. yeah. Comes around, comes around. Well, I've never heard that one. Well, you didn't answer my question. Do, does this teach the idea of karma in the Bible? I think the idea of karma is stolen from... It's a counterfeit that is oh. stolen from this, this original concept. Okay, so this does everyone concept. know what karma is? Anybody not know? Okay. <laughs> you put it that way, who's good? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm like an idiot. Uh, how would you, do, what's the definition of it? Well, I, here's what I have. Karma is a theological concept found in both the Buddhist and Hindu religions. It is the idea that how you live your life will determine the quality of your life that you will have after reincarnation. And so it's talking about sort of that, and you keep coming back in Pretty this series. Pretty much what I Okay, so that's karma. You're saying karma without the reincarnation. Is that Christian? Or is that biblical? Well, is reincarnation biblical? No. No, no. so it's not. No. Okay, so no, reincarnation is not. The Bible rejects the idea. Hebrews 9, it's pointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, not keep coming back in forms until you perfect yourself mm -hmm. to some life form or whatever. So we know that that's not. But this idea then that what goes around comes around, is that a biblical idea? That you reap what you sow. I like what Charles Stanley says. You reap what you sow more than you sow, later than you sow. All right, hold on. It's complicated. You reap what you sow more, more, more than, than, you than you sow and later than you sow. So 
as much as must damage you do, you will receive that. There will be consequences. Not so much that like, okay, you're gonna, it's like a payback from the universe, like a new age thing, but just that the consequences, like to think before you do, because the consequences are gonna sort of boomerang back and they could be a lot worse. Although how does that deal with the aspect of grace? You don't get I don't, theory. you know, it's Charles Stanley. I'm not going to argue with him. Sure. So. <laughs> well, I think we should argue with him. Well, I mean, I mean, I, you know, but, I, mean I would have to, like, you know, I, I listen to his teaching. So consequences so. is one thing. I, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I think karma is more towards you're well, getting judged for. Yeah, karma is not Christian. It's not a Christian concept. I don't know. I think that it's, with karma, it's definitely what goes around comes around. But that's not always the way it is in the Bible. There's Amen. people that think, wow, that person really deserved you know, punishment. They don't. But, I mean, God irons it all out at, at the end mm -hmm. when you're, you're, you stand before him. Karma's based on works in Hindu and Buddhist religions. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, in any, any religion that isn't biblical Christianity. I think we hold the concept, though, um, probably more than it's theologically correct. You know, it's that, that, that idea, okay, well, I messed up, so I can't pray, right? Because I deserve something bad, right? Because, and it's really just a lack of faith in some ways, and I'm not saying we're, you know, faithless or anything, but, but how we, we rationalize, hey... I didn't have my quiet time today, and I had a bad day, but I had my quiet time yesterday, and I had a good day, right? So karma does work both ways. It's not right, just right. But, but bad I, equals bad. Right, but I, I, don't, I don't think God's going around saying, oh, well, he's got to have a bad day today because he didn't spend time with me in the morning. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and so, so, but I think we put those things on ourselves or on other people, like, oh, that, that person's getting, that, getting theirs now because... You know, they've been doing whatever they're doing. Well, and yeah. I think that Charles Stanley, when he says I think he's talking about unbelievers. I don't think he's talking about, I think he's like, you know, the mistakes that we make as unbelievers will have these, they will reap consequences. But there are consequences, even there for are. a believer. Yeah, yeah. certainly. And, and, God, and God shows grace, too. Yeah. You know, so and he allows them sometimes because it's part right. of the sanctification. But, it, but as you said, it's not one for one. It's not one. No, you th it's like, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, how we perceive it <laughs> right. that way. Oh, and that's, <clears throat> it, it doesn't always happen, right, one for one, tit for tat kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or this person did something bad, and something bad happens to him. This person does something bad, and something bad doesn't happen to him. I mean, there's a... Uh, God has a sovereignty wow. over that. Yeah. But um, one of the, this church, uh, right off of the Garden State Parkway, that Faith... Fellowship. Faith Fellowship is at this big church right off of the parkway, and there were people that left that church and came to Old Bridge, and... And they were told, like, if you had cancer, it's because you've got sin in your life. Mm -hmm. Well, that would mm -hmm. be karma, but that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay, good. So then, because, and you do hear, we even had someone here ask the question, you know, would that be an example of karma? You know, who came out of kind of that background? Not tonight, but a different night. Um, so the Bible doesn't teach karma. But we do see... Uh, this principle of reaping and sowing. Mm -hmm. And so let me give you a couple of verses. Um, certainly the one that sounds like what I just said. Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Mm -hmm. All right, so certainly that. Job chapter 4, verse 8 says, As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble reap the same. You know, you play around with that stuff, it kind of makes its way back. Now that's a principle, though. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's always going to work out that way. So, for instance, Psalm 35, uh, 37, 35 talks about seeing the wicked prospering and, not, and David not understanding why or whatever. So, you know, the idea of reaping and sowing is a principle. It's not going to always work out exactly. Karma would be one where it always works itself out, this for that, um, cancer for lack of faith, and so on. All right, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. You know, so or karma is like if you're... 
really terrible in this life, he'll come back as an ant in the next life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, verse 26. Um, so Jacob's deceived. Verse 26, Laban said, well, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the first one. Um, he doesn't even pretend like, oh, I really thought you wanted Leah. I didn't know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like he just says, I'm sorry, we in our country, we can't do it. Um, <laughs> you know, so certainly we could look at Laban. I'm sure Jacob probably thought, well, why didn't you say something before, mm. you know. Um, and mm-hmm. Laban's omission of information was just as deceptive as if he came out and told Jacob a lie. You know, so we always, well, I never said that I, you know, I would do that or whatever. But you sure gave the impression that you would or whatever. Today my daughter called me out uh, because I, you know, when you buy a pack of gum and, you know, you open it to take a stick out, like the rest of the pack is gone because everybody wants a stick of gum or whatever or whatever. And so, and my daughter didn't want gum, but she saw that there was gum and so she had to have gum or whatever, this kind of thing. And so she said, do you have gum in here? And what I did was just change the conversation. Oh, did you see yeah. the great weather today or something or whatever? So anyway, this morning, I had to get something out of, out of like this little cubby hole in my car. And she saw the gum. She said, you did have gum or whatever. She said, you lied to a little girl. I said, I didn't lie to you. I said, I never said that I didn't have gum. And she said, yeah, but you, and whatever. So, omission of information. Ask, seek, knock. That's right. She didn't seek. So, yeah. so I, I was just trying to teach her a biblical principle. Yeah. Well, anyway, the sin is really not so much in the act, but in the intent of the heart. And he, he intended to deceive Jacob. Um, I wonder if this word, so Jacob comes, I can't believe you deceived me. I wonder if this word here, where he says, and it's interesting, it's the last word of the sentence, I don't know if it's like that in the original, but it says, it's not so, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. You know, and the whole deception before that he was involved with involved the firstborn and him stealing that. And I wonder if that word just sort of kind of hung out there in the air and it all kind of like Jacob was like, I got mine, you know, kind of thing. And it came back to me. I don't know. Uh, but anyhow, verse 27, Laban seemingly goes, doesn't come up with this on the spot, but goes on, on with the plan that he had. He says, complete the week of Leah and we will give you the other. They have names, Rachel, also in return for serving me another seven years. Somebody said that. Uh, this is his postgraduate work. You know, the first was school hard knocks. He's learning. He's getting his degree now. He's going to have to serve in a setting that you know he's being wronged by his employer, but he still has to serve faithfully, and so on. So that apparently the Lord's got more teaching to do in his life, breaking him. Uh, and of course, um, what's his name? Uh, Laban takes advantage of Jacob's great love. He could have probably said. You can cut off your right arm, and then I'll give it to you. And he probably would have done it. Uh, and so he makes him work another work another seven years. Now, this doesn't mean as he did the first time he worked seven years, then he could cash in the chip, so to speak. But that he'll he'll be able to take her as his bride uh, in a week, it seems, um, and then have to work seven more years. So, so the first part was a layaway, and the will. second part is a mortgage. There you go. Yeah, these poor ladies. <laughs> Me or him? What, what did you just say? So, in for Leah, yeah. what turned out to be Leah, he had to work seven years. Then on that seventh year, he could go get Leah. This doesn't necessarily mean that he had to work seven years to get Rachel, fourteen years after the, but that he could work a week, when this little wedding feast was over. Then he could. Get Rachel, but now he owed seven years. Like buy one, get the second one, half off. We did lay away and credit card. That, but uh, how, how do you come come to that? Is it because it says fulfill her week? Mm-hmm. That it doesn't necessarily have to mean seven years. So that phrase week, by the way, can mean seven, seven days. Mm-hmm. It could mean, in the Bible, it could mean seven years, right. as we see in like Daniel seven, uh, 9. It could mean seven seasons, mm-hmm. like we see in Daniel chapter 4. Um, there's some question as to whether Nebuchadnezzar 
thought he was an animal for seven full years, or I guess that would be like two and a half years or something, seven seasons. So, so anyway, it, all I'm saying is it doesn't have to mean seven full years. Right. But and so you're you're taking as the fulfill her, the her being Leah. In other words, Leah gets her week. Yes. With, with the husband. Yes. But isn't it isn't it clear from the following verses? When the children start getting born, that both of them and the servants are all having kids? Yes. Intermingled. It isn't like there's a big gap between like when Leah starts giving kids and then there's seven years. They're like all happening yeah. sort of intermingled. So Correct. That kind of would indicate that he didn't have to work another seven. Okay, right. He got yeah. Rachel and then worked. Not in the seven. field. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Greg, here's yes. an interesting thought. The Bible doesn't teach much or talk much about divorce. Like mm. this early, and God really frowns on it, but He did kind of accept it for uh, practical reasons. If, if um, in his situation here, if he waited the extra week and, until he got Rachel, and he said to Laban, "Hey, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a divorce here. I don't want this chick. I've got you know I've put my seven years. Mm -hmm. in. I'm just down the pike." That would have been you know interesting construct. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think we want to use this because even later, we're not going to get to it tonight, it doesn't look like, but then you have maid servants coming in because certain women can't produce offspring and, and so we'll take my maid servant, go into her, and then we'll raise it as our own. Like, oh, this, this is not a pattern that, you know, well, the Bible seems to show that this is okay. You know, the Bible's just honest. It kind of puts it out there. This is what these people were and what they did. This is not something we want to emulate or imitate um, here. You know, so you have this situation. He could have tossed Leah out of his tent and said, you know what, I never wanted you to in the first place. But no other man would have ever married her. Mm -hmm. And then she would have sort of just been out there. Mm -hmm. And so does he do that? Um, you know, does he divorce her? Does he get an annulment? Does he, you know, it's just, it's all a mess. You know, it reminded me, Pastor Scott Taransky, when, when he was our pastor here, he told of a time when he was teaching in Kenya. He taught at a Bible, Bible college in Kenya for about a year. And a number of his Bible students, pastors, he was teaching pastors, currently serving as pastors, um, teaching the Bible, a number of his students were married to multiple wives. And they would become believers, you know, but in that culture, you know, you have three, four wives or whatever, and they did. And uh, now they say to him, well, Pastor, what should we do? You know, we're reading the Bible. It seems that polygamy is frowned upon. And so what do we do? So what would you say? <laughs> Marriage is forever. Pray about it. <laughs> Pray about it. <laughs> yeah, you see the point? Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you don't say, well, pick the prettiest one. You don't say, yeah. pick the one who cooks best, you know. Yeah. So you say. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It's a so mess. What, it's what's the fairest? What would be the fairest thing to do for all of them? Yeah. They so. can't. They can't marry anybody else either, right? Right. It's like those stories where, like, someone goes missing for years upon years. Yeah. And the, cast away. Yeah. They they find out. They think the person's dead, and they remarry, and then the person comes back twenty years later. So now what? I don't know. Yeah, I remember Castaway thinking that. Like, oh my gosh, how would I counsel that guy? You know, whatever. Sorry. So, um, yeah. okay. So you see the dilemma that he's in. Um, this is not a cut and dry situation. Verse 29. Uh, now, Rachel has a maid as well. Her name is Bilhah. To file that away. That comes part back to the story. Verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also. Now notice this, it says, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. Now here is the problem of polygamy, is that one is going to be favored uh, over the other, and it's going to be a problem that's just going to compound itself. We're going to see it as we get into the next chapter and so on. Um, and, you know, you're going to have a miserable daughter through this whole process, and a jealous wife, Leah, Rachel will be jealous through the whole process, and does Laban even think about this or care about these things? It doesn't appear so. All right, let's keep moving because I want to get a little more. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
And Leah conceived, she bore a son, she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, this time I'll praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing. So going back to verse 31, notice it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, you know, I, I spent some time with the word, and the word can't mean anything else other than hated. You know, sometimes you can look at words like that, and it can mean like preferred or um, was kinder to or something, but the word just, it means hated. And so Leah was hated by her husband, and, and perhaps that's because you know, she was part of the the scheme or whatever. Perhaps I'm out here every day. I'm out here slaving because I got, you know, ripped off by my father-in-law because of that lady, you know, whatever. Um, but Leah's hated, and the Lord takes notice. It says, when the Lord saw. That reminded me of when Hagar, um, in somewhere mm-hmm. like Genesis, Genesis 21, when she uh, was kind of cast out from uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Um, that the Lord saw her and he heard her it says there as well Uh, and so the Lord sees Leah and she conceives um, Rachel's not conceiving Uh, first son his name is Reuben did you want to say something? so she's hated but he's still uh, yes yeah. Compassion. Yeah. This is in the King yeah. James Version. It's yes, it does. But in the Hebrew, it's hated. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah, I went back and looked at it. Isn't that hard? Nasty. That's harsh. Yeah. But notice that, though. I hate you, but I'll sleep with you. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> John, John ain't liking that. All right. The Messiah came through Judah, her we're going to get to that. Okay. You be patient over there. Um, yeah, so. I was going to ask a similar question. What was your, about that? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay, we're going to get to that. Um, notice this about Leah, and this is unfortunate, um, you know, and really it's something that a lot of people spend time in, like, counseling for this kind of thing, is she believes that if I just do enough, my husband will love me. And, and particularly if I have... Um, a, a boy or a child um, with him. So obviously she conceives, Jacob is having sexual relations with her um, despite the fact that there's an absence of love um, here. Um, she thinks that that will secure his love um, and it, it, as you can see it doesn't. So this is just a very real big problem in this relationship. Um, so verse 33, she has another son. His name is Herd. Um, well, his name is Simeon, which means heard, and she says, because the Lord has heard uh, that I am hated. Um, so it seems that she's crying out to God in prayer, so that God's even using this in her life, mm-hmm. and that she's learning to come to him, depend on him. But again, notice she says, again, I am hated. So that initial plan of, I'll conceive, have a kid, and he'll love me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think of how many, particularly like young girls, teenage girls or whatever, will sleep with a guy because she wants to maintain his love, earn his love, keep his love. You know, if I do this, he'll stay with me, or whatever it may be. Um, well, he doesn't love her, even though he's sleeping with her. Do we have any... Um, yeah. Is there any evidence earlier on that this family... Knew the Lord? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, there is none. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they did. I, don't, way back I don't know why they back. would. Even yeah, even when we were looking yeah. at Abraham and Isaac yeah, yeah. and Rebecca and all that, yeah, yeah, we don't have any. But she seems to have some. So Jacob's had a good influence on her. Yeah, it's just messed up. Um, all right, verse 34. Again, she conceives. This time it's Levi. No. Um, that name means attachment. That's why she says, now he'll attach himself to me. Um, again, her hopes are in her husband's response, and her husband's always going to come up short. Um, as any man will, well, you know, we all come up short. Not human, not men, human beings. You know, if we put all our hopes in a person or in a, if I get that job or if I, you know, hit that lottery or this or that, you know, all those things are going to come up short. Now, notice verse thirty-five. I think this is great. She conceives again, and this, she says, this time I will praise the Lord, and so she names this son Judah, which means 
praise. And it, it seems that she's come to this place where she's taken her eyes off of her husband mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to find my satisfaction in the Lord. She and was so that's good. It was idolatry of her husband, essentially. Yeah, and yeah. She switched what she was focusing on to God. Yeah. Now, Leah is, this is a rough existence, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean it's not like Sad. she's being tortured or something physically, but, you know, here's a I'm woman who's emotionally just, mm -hmm. it's in a rough spot. But even in all of this, God is using it. He's drawing her to himself, and as, as Judy pointed out, you know, the two most significant tribes of Israel are, are what two, do you think? Judah I, I think we would all agree, right? <coughs> Levi is the priestly tribe. Judah is the royal line. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so really, I, I mean, Joseph plays a key part later on in the book and in, that tr in, in this book of Genesis, but really down through history, it's those other two tribes, and they are the daughter, or the children, I should say, of Leah and so the Lord's seeing he's working in her he's going to use her for some good purposes but this is just part of the story wait till you come back next week because it's even more crazy um, but that's where we are today all right we'll stop there does that sound good yeah all right thank you for your patience we went a little long but that's cool let's pray father Lord we look at this and and I think of the next chapter ahead, and uh, it really is like you know, a Jerry Springer show or something. And mm -hmm. there's just some craziness there that we don't really understand at all. Or we can imagine ourselves being in some of these circumstances. We could uh, sort of try to figure out what would we do if we were in Jacob's shoes. And, and Lord, so uh, Lord, just help us to understand the things it is you would have us to understand. Lord, I do thank you that you love us and you don't want to leave us in the place where we were that you want to change us and refine us and you have sometimes you have to break us of some things and Lord, so certainly we see you doing that work in in jacob here we see you doing it it seems in leah's life uh, and so lord change us i'd much prefer you just teach us some things and we learn that way but lord whatever really it takes for us uh, to be conformed more to your son we ask that you would do that and so, Father, once again, as we oftentimes do, we just present ourselves to you as we leave here and pray that you would use this word and um, your Holy Spirit as we go to just minister to us, teach us, guide us, and uh, transform us into the image of your Son. And we pray our prayer in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for listening to the Sermon Podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.